This show contains movie spoilers and swearing. I didn't want to be uh, the reason that something weird happened. Well, I mean, if I do something weird on purpose, that's oh, different. Don't worry, it's already right. gone away. <laughs> this is bite-sized cinema. I'm all up for weirdness, Darren. Don't worry about it. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be the first person to say that. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Bite Size Cinema. I'm your host, RJ McCready, and for this episode, I'm going to be taking you guys back to the year in 1994 to talk about John Carpenter again. That's right, guys, John Carpenter on my show, the dude that I don't mention that much at all. And joining me for the show today, it's been a long time coming, is Darren Wilson, a fellow podcast host from the Psychosomatic cast. Darren, welcome to Bite Size Cinema. Thank you, thank you, uh... Long time listener, first time caller. Yeah, that's it. I'd say it's we're finally here. You know, it's just it feels like it's been a long time coming. As I said, just said um, before we started the show, we've been messaging each other and we're posting stuff on Facebook and we've been um, alternatively photographing everybody. We had a <laughs> we had a long spell with that. Yeah, uh, it's. it's uh... Healthy competition, I would say. Well, yeah, it's. Yeah, I think you start. You did start it off. I think you. Did, you probably already did it. I, I noticed that when you posted something on the podcast in Haunted Hill. I think it might have been when uh, Dan and Gav were doing the seven episode, and that was pretty cool. So that prompted me on as well. <laughs> <laughs> All in good fun. Yeah, uh, just carrying over. Uh, it, before I started podcasting and stuff, it was uh, playing in bands yeah. more. And, you know, you've got to alter some, you can do some alternative photography to make some punk flyers. Yeah. Oh, man. It's just, yeah, it's good stuff, man. Um, so, Darren, do you want to tell us a little bit about your um, show? Um, for anybody that's listening to Bite Size that might not know about your show, do you want to do a little bit of a tell us about what that's all about? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, the psychosemantic. If you just look that up, you'll find it most all places. Oh, this is not that that time to do the social media part. Mm. We're talking about the uh, the content of the show, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's you know the quick tagline is politics, movies, and political movies. It's not always just you know politics, politics, but we go into the more socio-political type things in movies it's not genre specific but i do have a lot of friends that do a lot of horror so that that'll pop up but uh as but we try to talk about the things where i i, I would just notice a lot of podcasters would say but we don't want to get into that that's kind of where i want to get into yeah and that. yeah, yeah. I, I think that's probably the best way to put that and then my uh, monthly show it's called the vd clinic podcast uh it's i i don't know if it's called vd clinic over there 
but uh, it's more of a play on things because my co-host is Vanessa and I'm yeah. Darren, and it's mostly comic books and graphic novels and short stories and other forms of literature with film and television. So yeah, no, that's great, Darren. I heard you say, like you say, your, your show is political. I mean, I don't really delve into that on my show. But then I kind of do appreciate it as well, particularly the movie we're looking at today. And that's the reason why I thought I picked this movie with yourself. Because I think there's a little bit of a political thing in there, which we'll talk about later on. But generally, I think John Carpenter does have that sort of subliminal message in his movies. You know, what with um, The Thing. Uh, obviously, this, this film we're talking about today is part of his Apocalypse trilogy. And I think every single one of those films has that kind of, you know, with the thing you've got the social um, sort of distrust type thing, you know, amongst the crowd of people, which you could sort of take from, it's done in a sci-fi sense, but you could do that in real world, for sure. Um, and then with The Prince of Darkness, you've got the religion, which Carpenter delves into, which he kind of brings in quantum mechanics and whether this is an alien life form and all that sort of stuff which i think was quite clever and then obviously today within the mouth of madness i I've, the more i watch that film the more i sort of see it where it's like can literature um screw you up or if you read something can it prompt you to do something which i kind of find interesting so yeah I, carpenter will i'm sure we'll say this lots of times and you have said it before mm. but Carpenter likes to put those sorts of things in. I think the way he put it is he's a short-term pessimist and a long-term optimist. So yeah. a lot of his endings are bummer endings, but he thinks probably maybe the human race will make it eventually. And it, with In the Mouth of Madness, yeah, it's, it looks into, you know, if enough people believe in something, that gives it power. And even if it's something horrible, <laughs> yeah, exactly. if enough people, yeah, no matter how horrible it is, if enough people put their faith in it, it can do a lot of damage. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like the point that it's sort of making, isn't it, in this movie? And it's something, I mean, it, it came out in 1994, it didn't do very well at the box office. Um, it was a story that's been kicking around since the 80s. It finally got made in the 90s. I, I certainly think In the Mouth of Madness would actually work today if it was made in 2020. Um, especially with the a lot of people understanding the Lovecraftian works and Edgar Allan Poe. I think people are starting to appreciate that work in horror films. So I think if it came out today, and certainly if it had John Carpenter attached to it, I think it would possibly have done a lot better, say like back in 1994. I think it's a lot, the the horror community has a lot more spending power nowadays than mm. 1994. I kind of feel like after the 80s, there was that early 90s sort of slump where I, I'm not exactly sure what it was because I was probably really just starting to get into horror movies in the late 80s, early 90s because I was... Uh, I was born in the 80s. Oh, yeah. So, you know, up until a certain point, it was 
sneaking and watching movies around the corner when <laughs> I was supposed to be in bed. And, you know, having messed up, I'll try to watch. I You don't seem to swear much. I'll try to watch my mouth because uh, <laughs> you're probably a clean show. Oh, no, um, it's fine. It's fine. I've, I've, it, this is You can swear all you want on this one, Darren, because I'll put a warning at the beginning. So. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I'm not... I almost said I'm not. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Darren, <laughs> I have messed up. For, I'll just quickly say thanks for thinking I'm clean. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the biggest well, compliment you know, I'm going to get today. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> there, there's like an, an assumed uh, vulgarity since I'm American. Oh no, uh, no, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like with the. Uh, what, is that the first Friday the 13th or the second Friday the 13th where Kevin Bacon gets killed from underneath the bed? The first Spoiler one. Alert. Sorry, first, people. That's fine. It's the, it's the <laughs> first one. As, as Gary Hill said, if, it, if you haven't seen this film in 40 years, you know, <laughs> I shouldn't have to spoil it by now. He'll <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Gary. So, so, <laughs> so through a keyhole, I thought there was an animal attack. Hmm. I don't, you know, instead of the... The arrow, I think it was an arrow. Or it was an spear, arrow, yeah. It was an arrow. It come up for his neck from the bed, wasn't it? Like, yeah. Hmm. So there, there were a lot of partial movie scene and sneaking into my my dad's movie collection and stuff. And I can't really remember. I think I just rented this a couple years after it came out. Yeah, it's interesting what you say there, though, is because I think I've heard everybody. I think most of the podcast hosts, especially on Legion, we're all similar age, and I think I've heard all of us say, we're obviously sneaky as kids, weren't we? Do you know what I mean? Because I think I've heard everybody <laughs> say, yeah, yeah, parents put me to bed, and then I sneaked around, and then I sort of, it's a bit like what the butler saw, you know, sort of peeked through the little keyhole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yep, I shouldn't really be watching that. keyhole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we're all guilty of that. I've heard a lot of us say that, you know. And that, that was, so, you know, what was your first viewing of a horror movie? Yeah, well, I was a kid, you know, up in the middle of the night, looked through the door. <laughs> That's when I first saw my <laughs> first horror movie. <laughs> I had to be real quiet. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. Fortunately, my, my mother had a much younger brother. Mm. So one night when I was another, maybe 11 or 12, I was at his house and he just said, okay. We're gonna get go get Friday the Thirteenth, Creep Show, yep. Creep Show Two. You're old enough. <laughs> yeah. So the time you become a man, that's it. Start watching these yep. movies. Yeah. Then you're gonna sleep in this basement, and I'm gonna go upstairs. Have a good night. <laughs> that's 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 parenting in the eighties for you. <laughs> All right. Oh man. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, coming back from yeah, creeping around my house when I was a kid. <laughs> but um, yeah, well, I think that's the thing with us guys, isn't it? It's a bit like say on the Legion, we can all we're all very familiar with these types of genres, aren't we? You know, and um, it's good to see that they're coming back today as well. You know, something that we've seen from the eighties has kind of been relaunched today. Um, if that kind of makes sense. People are sort of saying, oh, I want the practical special effects and all that sort of stuff in a world of CGI. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the things I love about Carpenter. He does have some bad CGI effects in his movies on mm. occasion, but he likes the the real stuff. 
the you know he had what on this one that was what was that the K and B effects people that did the practical effects and industrial light and uh, motion did the digital effects. Um. Oh, you've got me now. That's the one bit I didn't actually check out on my notes. There you go, guys. This, this is what makes my show real. <laughs> and I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. Um. Could I'm be. pretty sure it was. It's, I'm uh, just going off memory from one John Carpenter Q&A I went to a couple uh, years ago. Oh, right, so. okay. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about that? Because, you know, something John Carpenter there, was that? did you actually get to meet him? Or? Uh, I mean, I, I addressed him and he spoke back, but it was, you know, I was a couple rows back in a little auditorium. Hmm. And uh, there's one... Th- one thing here in the States called Horror Hound. I think they do a magazine also, yeah. but uh, it was a convention that I, I'm not sure where else. Sometimes I forget how big the States are uh, or is, but <laughs> there would be an Indianapolis in Indiana and Cincinnati in the southern part of uh, Ohio. Yeah. I, I live in Ohio. I live in Columbus in mm. the middle and it's kind of equidistant to either. Mm. So I can't remember which one it was. But yeah, John Carpenter was there and he did a Q&A. And I can't really remember. Because I did a follow-up question. My wife asked the first question. Uh, she was my girlfriend at the time. Yeah. And uh, she was asking him about his love for Westerns. Mm-hmm. And that got him started talking about Big Trouble Little China oh, and John Wayne and strong lead male characters and stuff like that. And he mentioned Sam Neill. And I, uh, I think I asked something about something unoriginal like, do you think that some of the best... Uh, Lovecraft stories are not based on Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was just in awe. I was sort of fan fanboying out. And a lot of it's just a blur of me smiling at hearing John Carpenter talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I've been there. I've been like that. Yeah, I've come out yeah. phased after meeting John Carpenter once a couple of years ago. <laughs> oh, how was, how was that? Well, I didn't have enough time to ask him that question. Uh, how do you play the game Potatoes in Assault on Precinct 13? I mean, what's all that all about? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, it was it was just a meet, it was a meet and greet at a... Um, he did a... Was it called Remember the Bats Tour? He's been doing for the last couple of years now. Um, where he's, you know, he's... He's got him and his um, son Cody, uh, you know, getting up on the stage and doing all the songs from the movies and all that. But I didn't really have much time with him. He, he signed a couple of uh, magazines that I've got, and I just, oh, nice. I, I, I said to him, I said, you know, thanks. The little time that I had, I said, thanks for all the movies that you've made, John. And he just sort of, sort of nodded his head, and <laughs> I think he might have been smoking a cigarette at the time or something like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he buys his cigarettes in bulk. Yeah, that's it. Um, 
but yeah, it was good to meet him. Do you know what I mean? He's just the legend that he is. I never thought that I'd get to do that, but I saw him in person. He signed a few bits for me, so that was great. Would have loved to have spent a little bit more time with him, but obviously, you know, couldn't because there was a queue of people behind me. All these John Carpenter, John Carpenter fans in one building. Do you know what I mean? It's just. <laughs> it was amazing. A lot of surliness. <laughs> there was his, yeah. It was all, it was all um, blokes in their sort of 40s, you know. <laughs> uh, but it was a good night. So, but yeah, like, as, you, as you've heard me before, I've said it before, I just think uh, Carpenter, he's, he can make a film that will come out and nobody will get. Whether that's, you know, as you mentioned with Big Trouble in Little China... Um, flopped, but now people love that movie. Uh, they live same, same thing. I think that flopped. E- even in the nineties, when I was going to college, nobody knew what They Live was as a movie. You know, I was coming to college and telling my friends, and they were kind of going, "RJ, what, what's this movie you're talking about?" Because that was in a time where we had no social media. Um, but now today, it's just become. Everybody gets these movies, apart from, as I mentioned in the last episode, Ghost of Mars. It still hasn't had its time yet, whether it will or not, I don't know. <laughs> I, is that the movie that made him take a time out? <laughs> Where he said, I've just lost the will to direct? It after made, yes. The way- it, it, it made him take time out for about 20 years, I think. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But as soon as you mention his name, people... They seem to get it, don't they? Do you know what I mean? It's um, Carpenter's. I think he's placed his staple in movie or cinema history now as a as a director. Yeah, it's so influential, and I don't really have um, like a lot of arguments for which is the best of the big three or big four or whatever franchises because people like what they like mm. and. I had a bass player who was so obsessed with Jason that I sort of stepped back from trying to fight for one franchise, but I loved Halloween when I first discovered it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, maybe 13, 14 years old, VHS, watched it all the time, like the music, uh, that, uh, that same obsessed with Jason bass player made sure that we always played a really weird version of the Halloween theme song whenever we played a Halloween show. Oh, wow. You got into sequencers and stuff. Yeah. And got a a, a, a a bow for his bass. And he really nerded out on the horror stuff, especially, which was cool. Mm. But John Carpenter was, it is, one of those directors that in whichever way he's doing it, I just enjoy the way he tells a story. Yeah. And he just sort of like, not really crept in because he earned it, but you know, I didn't know that big trouble in little China was a John Carpenter movie. Mm -hmm. I just loved big trouble in little China. And then went forward from there. And I know we're supposed to be trying to more talk about In the Mouth of Madness, hmm. but uh, 
it's John Carpenter. I, I love talking about him, and thank you for asking me to do this. And <laughs> yeah, no, it's fun. It, I'm yeah. not a giant Lovecraft fan. Hmm. I, you know, I never got into Lovecraft all that much, but I always liked this movie. Yeah, I'll, I, I'll be honest with you, Darren. I couldn't really tell you an awful lot about Lovecraft as much as I can about other things, genres and things like that, because it's quite new to me as well. Um, I know that there's, you know, it, the works are a lot popular now than they were when, same with Edward Poe. These guys weren't popular at the time. It's And it's kind of apt with Carpenter, whereas over time it's like a nice bottle of wine. People tend to get it a little bit later on. Same with most artists, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? They're more popular when they're dead for some reason, do you know what I mean? You create some art and then you die and then all some people get, you, get what you're doing, do you know what I mean? It just seems to be like a, a pattern, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, not... I'm, I'm not sure if it's that uh, what, the Joni Mitchell song or don't know what you got till it's gone. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, mean, that... I, it, I suppose it's like Kurt Cobain, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? In Nirvana, he died and then all of a sudden people were like listening to his songs. It's, yeah, it's a funny old thing, isn't it? It's like you say, possibly like you said with the lyrics of that song, you don't know what you got till, you, till it's gone, then people become more interested. But funny. Yeah, it's strange. <laughs> That's art, I guess. Um, yeah, but, I, I suppose. Yeah. But um, shall we have a look at this movie then, mate? Shall we get a trailer going and then have a look a little bit more of the mouth of madness? Um, All right. So what I just we do? Need a single black crayon. Yeah, that's it, man. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not mad. Right. So what we do, guys? We'll we're gonna get into a car. We're gonna drive to Hobbs End. We're gonna find out what shit is going down in that town. We're gonna play you a trailer, and we will see you soon. because the stores could not meet the demand of Sutter Kane's novel, In the Mouth of Madness. Kane disappeared two months ago without a trace. Isn't he the guy that writes horror books? You can forget about Stephen King. Kane outsells them all. I need to know if he's alive or dead, and I need that book. It's a setup. It's a setup. I just have to work out how it's set up. Kane's writing has been known to have an effect on his readers. See this? It's a map. This whole thing has been staged. You just get out. This is not reality. It's all happening for real, Trent.
And welcome back guys. So the synopsis of this film is an insurance investigator begins discovering that the impact a horror writer's books have on his fans is more inspirational. It's a horror fantasy, it's a 95 minute runtime, it's an R-rated movie, and it was directed by, as we've mentioned many a times now so far, is uh, from director John Carpenter. So Darren, in the mouth of madness, do you remember the first time you, you, you watched this movie? It was probably sometime in mid high school yeah or uh grade uh, i forget the transfer rate over there um pre-university mm-hmm. whatever that's called <laughs> um and just uh my older sister rented it and i didn't want to watch it with her but i would always she'd always rent a movie on a friday or something like that and i'd snag it saturday before yeah it had to go back and i just remember you know the the way it opens with that almost metallica yeah and to say man isn't it almost same sort of rip <laughs> on that isn't it really just carpenter which i kind of enjoy more you know i <laughs> i probably like some metallica but i really i like the way that john carpenter does music and i like the way that he came from a I mean, his dad was a musical professor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the, I just, and I'm not very good at anything besides drums. And I like that he composes stuff without extreme technical necessity. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, I feel like you can tell a John Carpenter movie when it starts. There's usually something, some sort of really cool music just bringing it in. And I was still, you know, uh, at that age, I had some friends that were really into reading Lovecraft. And it was sort of like my friends that did Dungeons and Dragons. I never really had the attention span for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this felt like the quick version like the hero quest or i think was what there was a very short version of a game like dungeons and dragons i remember that, that. Out, i remember but it that. Took, yeah yeah and uh, i had only seen a handful i i hadn't seen any of the non-carpenter movies but he already had me because i've already seen the thing mm-hmm. so i was pretty much set to okay i'm gonna love this director and the movies will just be various levels of I'll watch it again. And I thought it was pretty sweet. And it sort of put those ideas that a young teenager likes to think about where they're thinking about the, just because something's popular, doesn't make it a good idea. Creepy, uh, just the creepy town. Uh, Mm I had, I had been up to the, to the new England area by the time I had seen this, so sort of had references. I'd been to Salem. Yeah. I'd been to Maine and New Hampshire where Hobbs End is supposed to be, but I'd never seen it. Yeah. I didn't have Sam Neill with me. <laughs> I think uh, Duncan McLeish should be getting jealous when he found out you was with Sam Neill. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know much, much he's got a yeah. man crush on that dude. 
so much of a crush for him. I, uh, I you'd think that he was Scottish. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh dear. Yeah, it's um, it's certainly got that, like you say, the Salem. Uh, I don't want it. I don't want it goes on out in sort of is it New New England or New Hampshire? But they've it, when the Americans make a movie, they they tend to express that as there's shit happening in that part of America, where it's like a sort of Lovecraftian monsters, uh, vampires, which seems to work quite really well as well. You know, like say with Stephen King's Salem's Lot. I think it was that where they based was that where it was based as well. In that part of America. in that area, in the New England area, uh, pretty much all of Stephen King's stories take place in yeah Salem's Lot, Castle Rock. I think is supposed to be in Maine. Uh, yeah, Stephen King's a big Boston Boston sports fan. Uh, that's you know the, the for for United States culture that is the oldest part of the country. Yeah. So it would make sense that it would have that older feel. And New Hampshire is up above Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And it is, yeah, there's a lot of trees. There's a lot of empty space. There are a lot of winding roads that could lead to wherever. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard about the roads that lead you into weird places. They don't connect where they're supposed to. And I've heard people mention that about, uh, is it Boston? Or Salem, yeah. yeah. Salem, yeah. Salem, probably more so. Uh, although I love how they they play into the stuff, and that's where the Satanic Temple is. Wow, the, their main office, the the political one, the one that uh, does protests, doing absurdist comedy. Not the uh, not the Church of Satan that right. was started by Anton Lavey right. or whatever. This is the one that. You know, would try to get a statue of Baphomet in front of a government building if they oh decided God, to put wow. a plaque with the Ten Commandments or something oh. like that out. Um, I don't know a whole lot about them, but I've talked to some members and I watched that documentary, Hail Satan, that yeah. came out last year. Wow. Man, I didn't actually know about that until you mentioned it, so... It, it almost sounds like uh, that part of America, like, sorry if anybody lives in that part of America. I know someone on the page does, Jason 14, little shout out to him. Sounds like it comes with a warning. <laughs> Look out for vampires, witches. <laughs> Don't read a book, you might end up in it, you know. <laughs> it's, Stephen King might put you in his novel, you know. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> Tentacles are coming yeah. out of something. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Is that tentacles coming out of that house? No, no, don't worry about that. It's fine. Don't worry, it's fine. You, you get to know. You it's get Thursday. to find out. Like, yeah, this is it. Yeah. No tentacles Thursday. You'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from there Sunday morning. Yeah, that's it. Because <laughs> the shit's going to go the down. Minister. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got to uh, put his tentacles away and go do the thing. And yes. there'll be the panning shot like in. Uh, in the mouth of madness, mm. where Sutter Kane is seducing his literary agent later on, and he's got the kuatu or whatever from Total Recall growing out of the back of his head. Yeah, that's it. It does get a bit sort of fucked up by the end of the movie with that part. And it's interesting to mention um, Hob's End as well, because Hob is another word for the devil, um, apparently, and that was used in 
Quite a Mass in the Pit. I don't know if you are you familiar with that film, Darren? The the old Hammer horror movie. Uh, I probably saw it when I was little. My dad liked the old Hammer horror movies. So or he the, probably still does. I don't want to speak in the past tense. I just haven't watched a movie with yeah, him so in a while. It's a it's a Hammer horror movie where they've found a it's it's based in England in the undergrounds, and they found a flying saucer. And it contains these demons, and the, the name of the, the tube station is called Hobbs End. So it's like a bit of a tie-in for the movie, you know, very clever to put like the devil's name, but then call it something else. And then obviously John Carpenter is a big fan of Quake Mass in the Pit, and I think that's his like little Easter egg into this movie. So it's, it's basically tying everything in. He's got a lot of references to old old movies that he likes mm. in, in there. Well, at one point, Sam Neill's watching the... What is that movie with the gorilla suit? Oh, I, was, I thought you... And the astronaut head. Yeah, it was the uh, Robot Men from Mars or something. It's like an old 1950s sci-fi movie. Apparently, it's one of John Carpenter's favorite movies because that's where he's got his... It came from out space and all that sort of stuff. That's where he got his inspiration from to make movies in general. So yeah, that ties in with this movie. Ed, he was a big Howard Hawks fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, he's massive Howard, and that's where he um, also for like the leading ladies. All about in his films, he he loves having the leading lady, a very strong uh, female character. And he said that's to do with the Howard Hawks movies that he watched as well, so he ties that in, which is great. You know, it's very, very good for like modern, modern times. Carpenter was doing that in the seventies and the eighties as well, so he's very kind of ahead of his time. And yeah, Carpenter and what was his often producing partner, sometimes girlfriend, uh, Deborah, Karen, Karen Hill, De- Deborah, Hill. Deborah Hill. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Karen, Karen Hill's from Goodfellas. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Deborah Hill was together until Adrian Bobo turned up. <laughs> I don't know what prompted him. <laughs> Ed, I can think of a couple things. <laughs> yeah, I could as well, yeah. <laughs> a very low-cutting dress, I imagine. Oh, it's, uh, also, speaking of uh, undersung actors, Adrian Bobo. Yeah. Who is um, calm to royalty as well, isn't she? She's She's great in whatever she does going down those 300 whatever steps to that lighthouse mm, that's right in the yeah. fog <laughs> oh dear so mentioned Sam Neill who's who plays John Trent another great actor I think he brings a lot to this movie doesn't he he, he can he can play the very sort of sleazy insurance guy that he starts off with and then he goes into being a mad it expresses the madness very well as an actor in this, which is something I've seen him do in a, in another movie like in Event Horizon. It's a very similar sort of thing where he starts out normal and then things go a bit crazy. He probably took some John Trent with him when he did Event Horizon. That was a couple of years after this, right? Yeah, which is it's another good movie. I quite like that film as well. It's kind of like a similar sort of thing, isn't it, where you've got a space movie and then you've got um, like Hellraiser, isn't it, in space. That's a good description. Mm. That, that's a good way to say, hey, do you want to watch Event Horizon? I don't know. What's it about? Hellraiser in space. With wish they would have had a little bit of a higher special effects budget. but Yeah. Yeah, which is... Still a sweet movie. Yeah, it's a good film. 
one I might have to do for bite size at some point as well, actually. And then the film was made for eight million dollars, which I don't think. I think you get a lot of money. You, know, you get a lot of film for your money with this. And but unfortunately, as I said earlier, this flopped at the cinema, and I just don't think people got it at, at this time in the sort of early nineties. Yeah, that's a shame. I, I mean, I'm glad that he's had the option or the the opportunity to pretty much still make movies the way he likes to. But when he just kept not having that breakthrough hit, he didn't really get the the Sam Raimi power, the Sam Raimi Hollywood power. Mm. You know, I don't know if John Carpenter wanted to make a Spider-Man, but, you know, with, with Sam Raimi's success, he had a little bit more trust, I think, coming from the industry. And Carpenter had to, you know, keep it low, keep it low budget. But he preferred to work with, you know, the same crew of people whenever he could. You see so many familiar faces throughout his movie, like the the guy that he's sweating it out. <laughs> doing the... Yes, that's it. That's quite a funny scene, isn't it? He seemed to be sweating an awful lot. Uh, yeah, his name is Peter Jason. He's and I saw him in Village of the Damned last night. Oh yeah, did you watch that? Did you? Okay, I did. All right, sort of got in a mood after I watched this. What did you think of Village of the Damned? I haven't actually watched that film in a long time. Just on a bit of a segue. I, I still like it. I, I, I think I like it more than the original. Right. Okay. It's it's got Mark Hamill. Yeah. It's it's one of the few performances by Kirstie Alley that I enjoy. Yeah. Um, what the. This time around, I noticed that the main mom is the woman from Crocodile Dundee's 1 and 2. Linda Kowalski, uh, that's right, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Christopher Reeve's last movie, yeah. Pre-Accident. Yeah. Uh, a lot of fun stuff. Some cool gore. Scary kids. It's not very long. Solid movie. Um, I know some people sort of... I don't it, I'm not really sure. I've heard some people say that they hate it, and that's fine. You can hate whatever movie you like, but I don't. I don't think that John Carpenter's Village of the Damned is nearly his worst movie. No. Um, again, I've, I. I think if if people today, if if Village of the Damned wasn't made, okay, and that was not a movie by John Carpenter, and it was just a script floating around. And people caught light of that today and said, hey, do you know John Carpenter was going to uh, direct footage of The Damned? A lot of people would probably go, oh, wow. That would probably be quite a good movie. Do you know what I mean? In your head. But it was made, but people just don't seem... It doesn't seem to get liked amongst the fans. I don't know whether it's because it was just a little bit left field from what Carpenter's been do- done before. Maybe people love it when he gets into the sort of you know, Snake Plissken, Precinct 13, The Fog, The Thing. Don't know. But... Yeah, what? when you compare some of his movies to his masterpieces, mm. they don't do as well. Yeah, and I think sometimes that's what people come in and say, ah, yeah, it was okay, but it wasn't The Thing or <laughs> Precinct 13, you know. But 
Oh, I said this to Rick on the last episode and Dan Bone when we did Prince of Darkness. And I, was, and I think as a roundup, what I would say about Carpenter is he, he generally gives you something different on the table. So like you mentioned Village of the Damned, there's, you, you probably watch that film and go, oh, yeah, I haven't seen that before. Possibly. Do you know what I mean? He's, he, there might be something in that movie where he's trying to bring something a little bit different to the table from perhaps what he's done before. So I'll give him credit for that. He does try to sort of push the boundaries a little bit. Yeah, and he he likes to play with the old things from horror with uh, you know, and like with this one. Uh, he does show some things, but sort of with the Lovecraftian theme and the John Carpenter theme of sometimes your imagination does a better job than anything you could put on the screen. So it, like uh, where you don't really see much or any blood in Halloween. No. Or if this, there's a lot of stuff off screen. There's um, the indescribable horrors sort of lovecraftian yeah um with village of the damned it was more more horror you know you saw the kills and the kills were the point yeah you know in a lot of that in a lot of that movie but yeah i i I think this might be a controversial statement but i think the thing is his best remake yeah oh absolutely i'm with you on that yeah yeah (laughs) massively um but when when you look at the thing even compared to In the Mouth of Madness, they're two completely different movies in terms of the way it's been shot. And I think a lot of that was probably to do with Dean Cundy, his cinema photographer, mm. which I, I think he only worked with him up until, well, possibly The Thing. I don't know if that was his last movie. I know he worked with him on Escape from New York and The Fog and Halloween. Because back at, I think in the time when Carpenter was doing these big hitters, he had a lot, an awful lot of talent around him. You know, with like Deborah Hill. I think he even had, I'm trying, I can't think of the name now, but yeah, he had quite a few people around him to help develop these movies. Yeah. Dan O'Bannon. Dan O'Bannon, yeah, that's um, right. Why am I not thinking of. Uh, their name, uh, uh, oh, sh- Tommy shit. Lee Wallace, uh, the guy and, and Terminator, uh, director. <laughs> oh, um, James Cameron. The, yeah, James Cameron. Mm. Uh, <laughs> he did some some work on one of his movies. He did all the map. Too, I thought he, I, he did the map paintings yeah. for um, Escape from New York. Yeah, so he had a lot of he had an awful lot of talent around at that time. <laughs> I froze up on his name because uh, Carpenter was calling him Jim, and I only hear people refer to him as Jim if they know him. Uh-huh. And I'm like Jim, Jim, Jim. I don't know a Jim. <laughs> oh, James Cameron. There. Yeah, that's it. Dang. There you go. Um, but you know. Putting all that aside with, like, say, In the Mouth of Madness, I think it's, um, what I like about this movie generally is the, the topic of, as I said at the beginning of the show, could literature influence you in some ways? So you could read a book or you could watch a movie 
and you could come away and go I really enjoyed that and that's inspired me to possibly be like that character or that's as you said earlier you know when we was creeping down as kids to watch a horror movie that might be the first time that you've seen something on screen where you've gone wow that's crazy and that's now give me some sort of cinema trauma so I'm figuring within the mouth of man is that is the writer and John Carpenter trying to say yeah sometimes you can either pick up a book or read a movie and it will affect you in some sort of way or make you feel like you're part of that book which is interesting do you know what I mean I think that's a I like the way that's been put together in this film coming away from it yeah there the whole movie is just sort of arguing with itself on uh, whose reality is the real reality mm. and who controls the world you know, I don't know how many times does Sam Neill yell, this is not reality or this is reality. <laughs> and yeah, you know, but, uh, Sutter Kane says, I'm God now later. Yeah. And there's <laughs> uh, later on when somebody's asking why they don't remember a person, it's like, well, she must have been written out. Oh, and yeah, that's right. Yeah, just. That's uh, there's the thing about my favorite color is blue. Mm. Uh, I love how they did that. Uh, they um, with the actually changing buses and outfits and hair, yeah, and all that instead of just putting a tint on the thing. And I don't know if you want to go back because that's <laughs> that's after Hobbs End. We haven't really got to Hobbs End yet. If we're going chronology. Uh, chronologically. Oh no, I, I don't mind, Darren. So, we, can, we, we don't have to go chronologically. We can just talk about whatever comes up. That's fine. But okay, so yeah, I mean, we did address it a little bit with the creepy New England towns, with the leaves on the ground, and uh, the innkeeper, and uh, sort of like this is the reason why people should join the Bite Size Cinema Group. I think you were you posted the. Book covers, the yeah. Sutter book covers. Yeah. And you were having a bit of a conversation there, uh, talking about the the way that the book covers cut out into a map. Yeah. And I wonder how long it would have taken that character to figure out how it all fits together. It looks like it's jagged enough that it could only fit in one way. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And did you see how each book cover had like a part of the movie in it? Oh, I, oh! What when you're talking about like the church and stuff like that, and the monsters? Yeah, there's the church and the monsters. Uh, I think I have on here. Yeah, the the haunter out of time has the old old ones, the ancient ones behind the writer, showing right. them how to write. Uh, Hobbs End Horror has, yeah, the church and uh, the the weird tentacly teacher that Mrs. Pickman yeah. is. And I guess the Pickman is based off a Lovecraft story mm -hmm. that I've never read. Right. Called Pick Pickman's Model, I think is what it's called. Right. Uh, the Breathing Tunnel is the, the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Feeding has children chasing a dog. 
And it says there's something very, very wrong with the children in this town. The thing in the basement, this is Pikmin in the basement, with her husband, in the mouth of madness, has Trent running away from the monsters with the the inn behind him. Right, okay. You know what, I didn't... I did say that, but now you mention it, that does make a whole lot of sense now. And again, that's another part of the movie, I'll watch it again, I'll see that. Which is very clever. And also, I think the titles are all plays off of Lovecraft titles. Yeah. But since I'm unfamiliar with them, I could not tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Just by looking at the covers. I couldn't really help out with that. Like I say, I'm, I'm very vaguely familiar with the Lovecraft, so I'm not an expert on it or anything like that. But I'd have, like you said, I'd imagine there's a lot of Easter eggs there. Um, if you're a Lovecraft fan, you probably look at those titles and go, yeah, I know where that's from. And uh, like you say, the, the characters in this film are probably characters from the books and stories and stuff like that. So I think it's kind of like tied in. Um, but I, I think talking about those covers, it, they've obviously spent a bit of money on that as well, haven't they? Because they are very nicely well put together covers, aren't they? They're not doesn't look like it's been done cheap they actually look like real book covers that you'll see in a you know in a bookshop or yeah they would make me pick up a book and check it out yeah that's it yeah yeah for sure i think you, i think you can and actually buy them as a like they'd probably be fun as a bit of a <laughs> i think you just get a book with blank pages in the front cover that's it <laughs> you really do have to read the f- yep. <laughs> You really do have to read this book by its cover because it's going to tell you nothing else. So, there you go. Don't you read Sutter Kane. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. And that's right. That's the guy they got at the beginning of this film, isn't it? Um, who is Sutter Kane's agent who's gone mad. Who um, throws the axe through the window whilst uh, John Trent is talking about or he's being assigned this job, isn't he? So that's kind of like the first thread of this movie. Yeah, his, his friend who was helping him sweat out the uh, the carpenter mainstay, whose name he told me and I've already forgotten. Yeah, Peter Jason. He's, Peter Jason. He was in They Live. He's been in a number of the movies. I think he was in Prince of Darkness as well. He, he's one of those that guys, but not as that guy as Dick Miller. No, that's right. No, but he's 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 there, isn't he? When you see him, you think, oh yeah, that's, he's he's like uh, a bit of John Carpenter royalty. Yeah. I, funnily enough, I remember him first from Brewster's Millions with Richard Pryor and John Candy. There's a film I haven't seen for a long time. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I almost did it on my show last election because there's that part where uh, Brewster spends the money to run a campaign for none of the above. Oh, right. Okay. Um, The only thing I remember about that film, funny enough, is John Candy. He he gets asked by Richard Price, says, can you speak French or something like that? And he just says, the only French I know is... Have you got 12 inches or something like that? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I know, because he's, he's, he's in the porn industry or something, isn't he? Some sort of... <laughs> They've got a line like that in Splash, too. Yeah. But I think it's Swedish in that one. Oh, right, okay, yeah. It's just a little bit of a... 
little bit of a cheap joke. Junkie. Yeah, that's it. Chuck it in there for a kids' movie or whatever. So. <laughs> it was the eighties. It's the eighties, man. That's it. That's what we did in the eighties. No airbags. No car seats. No. Creep creeping around. Whilst your mum and dad think you're in bed and you're watching these movies. Nope. <laughs> Make keyholes bigger again. Yeah, so that's kids it. can sneak and watch movies yeah. instead of just turning on. I, it's easy now. You just turn the parental lock off your your phone or your tablet if you've got one. Yeah, and YouTube and things like that. Oh, man. <laughs> so back to this movie there, mate. So we got um, so got John Trent. He's... He's been assigned this job and he starts off as quite a sort of suave, confident character, doesn't he? He's a little bit he's a little bit sleazy in some ways, isn't he? You know, he's a bit of a Yeah, he's he's the insurance private investigator mm. type. He's you know, he's his uh his starting position is distrust and um I don't know if it's a distance, but he's he's the uh, the loner type. Hmm. Doesn't like to work with a partner, and no one can be trusted. Everyone's trying to lie. And then he's introduced to, which is a nice little cameo. Is um, Charlton Heston turns up in this movie? I just wait. Some some reason I thought he had an eye patch. I don't know why I thought Charlton. Oh. Had, <laughs> it just seemed like he because should, of should true have. lies. Oh, is that what it is? Is it? Yeah. He's got an eye patch and true lies. Oh, right. Okay. I knew I saw him somewhere with an eye patch. I thought maybe it's just like a sort of snake pliskin tie in there, but he just looked that like would have been funny. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, "Hi, my name is Snake. My I snake. need you to find a book." <laughs> snake Pliskin's become a pub publishing editor. Pliskin uh, Publishing. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. <laughs> right. Okay. Saying <laughs> line. That's sad. Um. So yeah, he gets assigned this uh, job to go and find Sutter Kane, who's become who has disappeared, and they're thinking that it's like a a, a stump for his new novel. And um, I guess Sutter Kane is back in the times of the nineties. I guess you could say it's like he's related to Stephen King. Because a lot of people were reading Stephen King back then, so that's like a little bit of a tie in there with him, isn't it? I mean, yep, and they were Carpenter and King were friends. Yeah, and um, then he's introduced to oh yeah, that's the other thing I was going to mention is the oh what's her name Judy Carmen who plays Linda, and she's Linda Styles or whatever. Yeah. And I never knew this until I did my notes, but Judy Carmen is actually in Fright Night Part 2. She actually plays... Um, is she? Yeah, she plays the lead vampire in that. Um, okay, that's... Speaking of... We're doing a lot of speaking of films one of us hasn't seen in an age. Yeah, I've, I've only... Um, Fright Night 2. I only watched it of recent because uh, Gavin Dan did it for Podcast on Haunted Hill. And when I watched it... Um, yeah, I picked up on that. She's yeah, she's Linda. So again, there's another tie in there from another movie. Jurgen Prochnow as Sutter Kane. Yeah, that's right. He was, he was in a film called Well Das Boot. He played the uh, submarine captain in that. I'm trying to think what else he's been in. Uh, 
I'm sure plenty of things. Uh, Air Force One. Beverly Hills Cop. And Beverly Hills Cop 2. He plays a bad guy in that, I think, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So then John Trent, he's, like I say, he's, he's... He's a little bit reluctant to take on this case, and he's kind of, for for the most part of this film, he does not believe in what is happening around him. He, f- he still thinks that everything is like a stunt, and he's just playing along with it. And like you said, he d- he doesn't really like a partner, so he's a little bit reluctant to have um, Judy come along with him. But she kind of becomes a little bit of a love interest, doesn't she, along the way? But he kind of rejects her a little bit, doesn't he? Yeah, I think it goes back to his "I don't trust anybody's motivation" thing. Mm. Getting yes. getting at a point, and she's like, "No, don't think about that. Kiss me." Yeah, and get off me. Got to go talk to that old woman. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Happy Gilmore's grandmother is up to oh, no good. Man. <laughs> Happy Gilmore. Blue Velvet, too. Right. I don't know. I haven't seen that. I'd... Oh, you've not seen Blue Velvet? No. No, you caught me out there. That's a, are, are you a fan of David Lynch? I've, I'm familiar with him, but I'm not... I haven't really watched many of his films. Well, come to think about it, I don't think I've watched any of David Lynch's films, actually. I've always figured they're pretty fucked up. Yes, that that's the one where you've probably seen it referenced before. That's the one where Dennis Hopper or Dennis Hopper is huffing gas in a gas mask and he's in a car. That movie. Oh, yeah, I think I've seen it being posted on the Legion. I'm sure it was somebody's Halloween costume or something. And uh, oh. Duncan is a big fan of that. I was going to say uh, Kyle think- McLaughlin's in it. Oh, right, okay. Okay, yeah, I think I might have seen Duncan. But yes, by Bridget, but... <laughs> it is a fucked up movie. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's probably... I don't... Yeah, I think that's possibly what might have, been, might have put me off, but I might delve into it one day. Like that... Um, like the kid I was back in the 80s looking for a keyhole. That might have been my new phrase. <laughs> you got to watch this film for a keyhole. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> so we've got everything in this film. We're a bit of David Lynch as well. Um, possibly the other thing I was going to mention as well, and Rick mentioned this on the other show, was uh, Lucio Fulci, the old Italian genre. Because mm. I know John Carpenter's a fan of the Italian horror genre, so you can kind of see that in these movies as well, which is probably the reason why, if he was taken from that, it's probably why people possibly didn't get it back in the 90s, because... Obviously, today that genre is being introduced through, you know, Arrow videos and Shout Factory and re-releases and stuff like that. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the old Giallo or Fulci movies. Yeah, uh, fortunately here, I probably, if I had, would have known to ask about that sort of stuff. There was at least one video rental store on campus here. Or you could get that sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. the the blockbuster or whatever other sort of national chains wouldn't necessarily have had the Don't Torture a Duckling or uh, you know, The Beyond or something like, like that. Yeah, that's right. Or even um, like opera. 
Suspiria, even. The, all these films that I'm seeing now, which are being posted on the social media, are films that I've only, I'm only familiar with in the last four or five years. Which I think is... And obviously the video nasties as well, which are coming back, aren't they? Because everything seems to be getting re-released now, don't they, by these independent Blu-ray companies, which are doing an incredibly good job, by the way, to bring those back on the shelf. Oh, right. What was... Somebody cracked you up talking about Vinegar Syndrome an episode oh, or two back. That was um, that was Gary Hill. Yeah. That was, <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was on the last episode with Gary, yeah. Vinegar Syndrome. Never even heard of it. <laughs> it's... I, I know people like my co-host Vanessa on VD Clinic. She probably has a lot more movies from Vinegar Syndrome. I think... They put out, yeah, those movies of what did Gary say? Some of them are ones that people just threw in a dumpster. Some of them are loved classics. Hmm. But, you know, what was that? Oh, man. Vanessa had me watch one movie that I'm spacing on the name, but it was Aliens and Drugs and New York and Shrimp and... Uh, one character played two or three different people. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, it's it's it. Anyway, yeah. Bigger audiences, I think the the Blu-ray transfers and finding cuts and uh, being in, being able to restore film. You know, like like Peter Jackson's doing with hopefully with his old catalog, but mm. like he did with that World War One footage. Uh, I have not watched that movie. Oh, right. That he did that. But I imagine, I hear it's powerful and moving to see, you know, that sort of footage more, more colorized. I'm not sure what it is when you take something out of black and white that makes it a little bit more realistic to some people. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're talking about the uh, Night of the Living Dead that was turned into colour, which uh, doesn't get a lot of people's <laughs> vote, does it really? <laughs> Boo! Yeah. Yeah. It, oh, well, you know. For, yeah. To each their own. To each their own. Not yeah, exactly. Them. Yeah, nice. Um, but yeah, no, Peter Jackson's work in the early days was. Um, I revisited some of his work. Uh, Earlier on in the year, I think we watched Brain Dead and Bad Taste. Yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> those are movies. Up movies. I, I like uh, I like Brain Dead more than Bad Taste. Yeah, uh, I think um, that was one that I got really into younger. Uh, Brain Dead was really popular amongst my friends, and Meet the Feebles. Which oh isn't my horror, god but... almighty yeah meet the feebles i think i was introduced to that in the 90s never seen anything like it in my life yeah it's... oh yeah special kind of mind when you said earlier how to, how to describe a movie i can tell you you just have to go and watch it it's, it's like fucking it's probably the most fucked up movie you're ever gonna watch in your life and this is the guy that yeah, made. Yeah, it's hard. I was gonna say it's the guy that made, you know, the lovely Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. You know, get out. 
This guy, this guy came from some dark area of the universe, I tell you, man. Jeez. <laughs> New Zealand. <laughs> Maybe uh, Peter Jackson's really sucked cane, you know? Just sort of in disguise, you know? He's going to release something to the world. Just luring everybody in. Yep. With the help of Andy Circus, he can he's unstoppable. Oh yeah, that's it. Ooh, my precious. Very <laughs> oh, I should have practiced. My dad does a really good golem. Yes, uh Dan Bone does a good golem when you hear him do it. In fact he is he's the man of many talents when it comes to voices on the show. <laughs> he can that's, surprise that's good you. to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man! So back in Hobbs End, uh, John John Trent is going on this venture to try and find uh, Sutter Kane, and let's talk a little bit about Hobbs End. So he ends up there, doesn't he? We said about this map that he creates, and he goes on this uh, road trip, doesn't he? And there's a bit in this movie that kind of reminds me a little bit of um, The Wizard of Oz, in terms of you're driving along, and then all of a sudden. It goes go from through that covered bridge. Go through that bridge, that's right. And then all of a sudden it goes from darkness to light, doesn't it? And it's almost as if there's a little shot of them flying through the air. And then you're in this world of Sutter And then, like, as you said earlier, you've got what you saw on the front of the books in this, in this town. So you've got the church and then you've got the hotel. Uh, the freaky old lady in the hotel where you just know she's up to no good as soon as you see her don't you think that, that lady if I went into a hotel and I saw that woman in a hotel I'd be like I'm going I'm not staying I've got the wrong hotel I'm sorry <laughs> you know? I'll be in the car <laughs> yeah I'm leaving I'm sorry I've made a mistake <laughs> fucking hell <laughs> is there another place in town yeah and then there's that it, it's a real I don't want to say it's a cheap trick, but I guess it is a cheap trick. I'll just tell you how it is. But it's the it's the um, pictures on the wall of people moving within pictures of the wall. And I think that's something that freaks me out. Because I've been in some old houses myself and I've, I look at these old pictures and sometimes feel like something's watching me. And I guess it's the stuff that kind of, kind of freak you out. Do you know what I mean? It's... It's, oh, it's yeah, a really good, I, I totally clever, agree. It's a very clever thing that they've put into this film, I think. Well, Ed, it's a good that you said that it's it's kind of a cheap trick, but you like it because that is almost verbatim a John Carpenter quote. Yeah, that I got from his commentary on the on my uh, Blu-ray of this, mm-hmm. and a different part. But he said it's kind of a cheap trick, but I like cheap tricks. Yeah, that's it. That'd be quite a good name. That'd be quite a good name for a band, wouldn't it, Darren? Cheap yeah, trick, but be. I like it. I would. I would surrender <laughs> to yeah, that band. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Darren. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We're coming up with all the quotes. Right. Yeah, that's it. Just yeah. a little bit of me, Sutter. Yeah, Sutter. Ch- cheap trick, but I like it. Debut album, Sutter Kane. <laughs> <laughs> three this is the our hit single four-legged dog that is now three-legged dog yeah let's see yeah. <laughs> oh dear so yeah we've got this town it's 
you know something's got to go wrong in this town as soon as you're there. You've got the church. Um, and then you've got the kids that come running out. Freaky kids. That's another thing that can sort of be a little bit scary in movies. These sinister little children running about. Um, and then you've got the dude from Ghostbusters 2. Vigo, Vigo, the the townsperson. Yeah, that's it. I think this is his only other movie next to Die Hard. Um, I can't. I can't think of him from anything else. But you know what? I'll take that as an answer, haven't you? You know, I played Vigo in Ghostbusters. I played one of the terrorists in Die Hard, and then obviously in the Mouth of My Man. So yeah. But anyway, he was we... in a Werner Herzog movie that I haven't seen. Called oh. Strozhek. I'm unfamiliar. I don't know that. I'm unfamiliar with that. Is that a horror movie, is it? Or... Uh, let's see. It's a tragic comedy. Oh, right, okay. Uh, 1977. 1977? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, let's see. Plot. Shot in Plainfield, Wisconsin, hmm. and in North Carolina, but. Yeah, Werner Herzog, S-T-R-O-S-Z-E-K, however you pronounce that. Right. Strozek. Okay. how I'm going to go with it. I took Spanish in school, so oh, you can help I have me to out watch then. myself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the wrong accent. <laughs> I can't help you out with that. I don't know any Spanish at all. <laughs> I'm looking to try. Uh, so yeah, so you got Vigo in this movie, and you got the kids running around. There's some weird shit happening, but then John Trent still thinks that this is still a scam. You know, he thinks Sutter Kane's going to turn up somewhere, and then it goes to—is this where Judy goes into the church and then she meets Sutter Kane? And this you said about earlier, wasn't it? Where she, her books, her head gets. Put into the book, doesn't it? And then she gets transformed in somehow with with the literature. Yep, she's she's converted to whatever it that is, whatever Sutter Cainism yeah. is. So she's got like blood coming out of her eyes, isn't she? And then she goes back and sees she sees John Trent, and then she tries to kiss him, and. I think John, like I say... Is that when she steals the keys? That's right. Yeah, does he... He goes into the bar and then he meets Vigo again. Then Vigo blows his head off, doesn't he? After telling John, you've got to get out of town. And then John goes outside. Reality's not what it used to be anymore. Something like that. One of the cooler lines from the movie. And then this is where John is starting to think, maybe the shit is going off a bit here. Because he goes outside and then goes outside the bar and then he sees all the old town folk, doesn't he? And then it's they've all like turned into monsters and they're trying to kill him. And then this is where he goes into the car and he tries to start the car up, but then Judy's got the keys. And then again, you get another cheap, yeah. you get another cheap trick here because I think the keys were made out of um, pasta or something. And this is where Judy eats the yes. keys, which was quite a clever scene, I thought. And then old John probably goes back to his teenage years where, you know, you could start up a car, isn't it? He, he knows how to do that, doesn't he? Hot wires a car or something like that. Gets it started. 
And yep, then with the screwdriver. That's it. Get old screwdriver. Start up the old motor. And he drives off, and he thinks he's getting out of town. And then this is where you get the first part of the movie where he's kind of like he's driving off, isn't he? And then he, as he goes out of town, he comes back into the town again, doesn't it? It's like a sort of Groundhog Day moment, isn't it? It just keeps on every time he tries to drive out. He comes back into the town. That's, again. Not, that's not how it was written. Don't go yeah. that way. You weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> that's it. Is this the bit where he's with Julie, and then she does a little bit of a thing moment here, doesn't she? She sort of like her body starts to bend round, doesn't it, with her head? It's like a sort of exorcist yes. moment, isn't it? That's quite a clever, clever bit. I like when she turns and it looks extra weird. Hmm. It was a little bit. Um, actually, it kind of remind me a little bit of the Evil Dead with uh, Ash's girlfriend, isn't it? When she goes a bit sort of psycho on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so then, after this scene here, after the sort of Evil Dead little homage there, Trent then goes to the church, and I think this is where he meets Kane, doesn't he? And then he, he tells him that. Um, he is part of the book. This is how he's written it. He's Kane did start off as a horror writer in the real world, but then after a time, he realised that this is where he starts talking about the Lovecraftian, the old one, the old gods. They've basically told him to write these books and then release havoc on the world. And then you've got that door, haven't you, where it's like trying to open up, and then you've got the old dogs trying to release themselves into the world. I can't hold them back any longer. Nah, that's it. Gotta release them. And then he basically tells Trent, and he? he says that you are part of the book, and in this book, your your main job is to actually take this manuscript and then take it back to the the, the publishing editor, isn't it? And then get it released. And then you've got this part then where the was it the doors open up. Was it where Sutter Kane goes in? He basically he starts putting himself apart, doesn't he? Like a like a sort of novel or something like that. And he, it's like quite a good sort of special effect here, isn't it? Where he opens himself up and then it becomes like the tunnel with all the old ones releasing themselves. And she she does she reads out of that part of the book to him about what's going on right then. Yeah, that's right. That. I yeah. tried to read all the words on the ripped page that be that was Sutter Kane to see what all it was, and, and I'm sure it was part of the book. I'm sure somebody wrote at least a couple pages from each book or something like that because it was talking about old, dark, terrible shapes and monsters and and things like that. Yeah. So then he got him with this script, and then he goes running through this tunnel. And then you've got the old ones that are like chasing after him, which is quite a good effect as well. It's all like practical special effects. And I think it was done on one take or something with guys in costumes and suits and slime and all that sort of stuff. All that fun stuff. All that fun stuff that we all love, all the practical stuff. And then after this is where Trent then ends ends up back in the old world or back in the normal world as such, isn't he? He ends up on a highway. And I think at this point he thinks it's possibly a dream or something like that. 
up until the point he gets to a hotel and then he gets a package with because he's trying to get rid of the manuscript doesn't he He thinks I'll burn it I'll get rid of it but then it just keeps on turning up again doesn't it wherever he goes no I was going to say and then he goes back to Charlton Heston doesn't he again like you said this is where he as he's as he's realised already he's the end of the book now is him um, giving the script to well no he's destroyed the script isn't he but then Charlton Heston has come out and said well you've already done that and you gave it to me seven months ago. Yeah, that's seven it. weeks ago. And then he he denies that Judy went with him as well, doesn't he? He finds out now. I oh, know Judy didn't go with you. Went by yourself. And then this is where he's thinking. He says, "Oh, we could destroy the manuscript." And then they say, "Well, it's been turned into a movie, so everybody's going to see this." Yeah, a good twist because I. <laughs> way more people are going to see the movie yeah so if you're not going to read it people are going to watch it and say so the whole world's I suppose it could just be there could be just one or two people a small percentage of people in the world who wouldn't be affected by this people living by themselves in the middle of nowhere possibly so you could possibly have a survival rate here which I suppose very could small make... but which could make another movie, I suppose, couldn't it? But <laughs> In the Stomach of Madness. In the Stomach of Madness, a sequel. Everybody wants a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then after this, this is where you go back to the the mental asylum, isn't it? And as it's turned out, John Trent has been telling this story to Dr. David Warner, who I forgot to bring up, actually. David Warner turns up in some really good stuff. Uh, he's one of those he's, as we said earlier he's one of those actors that turns up in movies you go, oh there he is there he is he's, he's played evil wasn't he in the Time Bandits he was in The Omen yeah and, uh, John Glover brought him in yeah who's oh, <laughs> yeah. also another bad guy is he the bloke yeah I recognise him was he I want to say he was in Gremlins 2 yes Gosh. he's that he's that guy He's that guy, isn't he? He's that guy that... uh, I haven't seen Gremlins 2 for a long time, but he's a guy that just turns up in the middle of the street with that emergency escape exit thing or whatever it is. It's been a while since I've seen that. Yeah. (laughs) Mr. Clamp or Mr. The the guy that owns the the building. Yeah. The guy with a lot of money and not a lot of ideas. That's it. (laughs) He's that guy. We just called him that. He's, 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 He's that dude. So... Yeah, he got Trent, he says, you know, he basically says to David Warner, then he? he goes, are things going to shit out there? And um, obviously the whole world's been infected by this book by this time. And then you've got the final scene here where it's it's not really a twist, but it's a good way to end the film where he's actually in the cinema now, isn't he, eating his popcorn. And he's watching himself, isn't he, on in the movie. And he's just laughing into himself, and I suppose this is where he's got that realization now, where he's gone. This whole time, I, I am the main, I now realize that I'm the, the main character in this book, and everything's pretty much fucked up. And he starts almost sort of laughing in insanity. I might as well be as crazy as they say, yeah. because everything else they said about me is true. And then you've got that sort of 
that end guitar riff or the song isn't it comes in again a bit of the yeah. uh, sort of Enter Sandman clone as we mentioned earlier <laughs> yep it's a real rippy tune isn't it for this yeah. it just it kind of it does go does with he play film. that um, you said you've seen him live. Sorry, does he have, does he do the that song? Oh or yeah, does it kind of gets skipped over because it's no. not as iconic. No, no, it does. He he played that at the um, his last tour. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was fantastic. Yeah, he played it with his son Cody Carpenter. Yeah, on stage. Yes, yeah, it sounded really good. It's a song that shouldn't go with this film, but it does. As we mentioned earlier. Yeah, the rest of the stuff. Uh, another interview we, I don't know if you've gone down the YouTube holes of John Carpenter interviews at different times but one thing I heard him say about his music that stood out was uh, when he's talking about my music is, is like carpet have you heard him talk about it like that? No No, what's that? He said, you know, if you hire me to put carpet into your apartment I'm going to do a good job. I'm going to make sure it covers you. It supports you. But eventually you're going to forget that it's there. And it's just going to be there. Wow. That's a good way to describe actually. No, I never heard it described like that. But yeah, I guess so. (laughs) He probably added a couple extra more mans and cigarette drags. (laughs) But... Man, every time I look at Carpin now, I'm going to think of John Carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Johnny, you there? <laughs> so fucking... I feel supported. Yeah, that's it. You got me covered, but I don't know you're there. Thanks, John. <laughs> oh, yeah. But no, I've, 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 um, I've read a book of his, and he's... This is why I thought we'd talk about this one today, as I mentioned earlier in the show. He's, he has said, first of all, he said he feels like the outlaw of Hollywood with some of the flops he's made. And he's pretty much said that he tries to make a picture that he really wants to see himself. And apart from, I think the one film that he did commercially where he didn't put his name on the title was uh, Memoirs of the Invisible Man which came out around oh, right. about this time. If you look at that film... You're, Sam Neill. Again, with Sam Neill. I think that's where he met Sam Neill. I don't think it's a half-bad movie, but it just doesn't feel like a Carpenter film. And I think he said himself he just took it as a paycheck, which is fair enough. Do you know what I mean? I don't think it's a film that he would necessarily want to make, but he did. Um, but Yeah, he said similarly about Christine. He said, I lost a movie. They offered it to me. I said, okay. And yeah, that's another film, isn't it? But he didn't do a bad job of that. I think, you know, Christine is a half decent movie um, for for John Carpenter. But what he did say is, as he said, he feels like he's responsible for um, possibly corrupting films, um, corrupting people with some of his films. And I think this is where in the mouth of madness is kind of like a little bit of a statement to that where as I said you know could things possibly have an impact on you if you watch something so I think I've heard him mention that in an interview before somewhere yeah he's he is a treasure yeah I, uh, 
America doesn't put out a lot of good things, but John Carpenter is one of them. Yeah. No, he's, um, I, don't, I don't know, I've said this before, I don't know whether he's still got another movie in him somewhere. I'm not sure. And he, he's enjoying those video games right now, and he's got another big Halloween check coming in soon, so I I don't know. He might make a short film, that maybe if they do uh, Masters of Horror again, I know he really enjoyed that. Yeah, he might. He might possibly bookend us with something, mind you, with like he started off with Halloween and he might just end with something completely out of the blue. I wouldn't necessarily say Halloween because um, I know Bloomhouse are having a go at that again, aren't they? I think they're bringing us a new Halloween movie. But we'll wait and see. It was, yeah, it was going to come out this year, but it got pushed to next year because they yeah. want it to be theatrical. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he'll, as I said in the last episode, I think we'll always have John... I think people will make movies with a sort of John Carpenter vibe, and I think that's where we'll see John Carpenter in the future. Um, people will watch a movie and go, oh, yeah, it's a bit like a JC movie. So I think that's where we're left at. But, um, yeah, so there you go. There's In the Mouth of Madness, man. Thanks for coming on the show today, um, Darren, for that. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Apologies for the ramped up rambles as as the my coffee kicked in gradually. Oh no, that's fine. Not a problem. I love it. It's this show is generally a podcast, and it's all about the tangents, as you know. Um, I've had Gary Hill enough times on the show to know about tangents, man. You know that with my last episode. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm still getting, as I said to Dan, I messaged uh, Dan. Um, off air and I said I'm still getting over Gary's uh, quote when we spoke about Jason where he basically said here's my Amex <laughs> credit card don't kill me do you know what I mean just such a Gary Hill thing to come out and say <laughs> oh, right <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious but yeah like I say man it's been great man so it's been good to chat to you and that's for us to finally get together and um, do a podcast together yeah, thank thank you for taking the initiative and making this happen. Oh no, you're welcome, man. Anytime, anytime. Anytime. Well, if there's any, if there's anything you fancy talking about, let us know, and uh, we'll put something together. If it's something even non-horror related, some old '80s action movie or whatever, don't we? we'll we'll get on it, man. Let us know. Oh, I, I will pitch you ideas. Yeah, and uh, you, you said you don't tend to talk about that sort of thing, so I'm not sure what you would like to do if you ever wanted to come over on Psychosemantic. But we just did uh, Wag the Dog. I just recorded Wag the Dog uh, right. yesterday. I don't know if you've seen that film. No, I don't think I've seen it. No, I'm unfamiliar with that. Is it a political movie? Or Yes, it's a black comedy Right. Where uh, Robert De Niro and Anthony or Dennis or Dennis Hoffman or Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Dennis Hoffman. <laughs> yeah. Robert right. De Niro and Dustin Hoffman help a uh, president fake a war to help distract people from a scandal with 11 days before the election. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, it's got William H. Macy and Woody Harrelson and Anne Haish. And uh, Craig T. Nelson, who uh-huh. was on a television show here called Coach, yeah. but he's in—I mean, the dad from Poltergeist. That's gonna say, yeah. Uh, I, um, I was gonna say, 
How can anybody be having a shit day on a nice day like today? I think I remember him quoting from Poltergeist, so yeah. And uh, I heard you mention William H. Macy as well. He's quite a good actor. Wonderful. He plays a CIA agent. He's one of those guys, isn't he, as we mentioned earlier. He's done an awful lot of films, but he's not A-list. But he's, he's there, and when he's there, he's good. So, if that kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got that skill. I think, uh, what is the playwright, David Mamet? Mm. Was, he, I think it was David Mamet was one of his teachers at acting college. Right. So he, he learned that stage presence and that work ethic of got to memorize your stuff because you're going live. Mm. And, but yeah, William, I, I let, yeah, William Macy. Yeah. No, well, anyway, sorry. He's, the other thing. I'll, I'll send you a trailer for that movie. I think you'd get, get a kick out of it. You don't have to be in really into politics. You just have to live in a country with a government to right. get the jokes. Yeah. In, in, in that movie. I think I could probably get it. It came out four weeks before the Bill Clinton scandal. Broke. Oh, right. Okay. Right. I see. Yeah. No, I'll totally get that. And the other film I was going to say, uh, William H. Macy was in, funny enough. It's, it's not a very well liked movie, but the Psycho remake. He was in that. I think he played a detective or something in that. So I'm just thinking. Did did he play the detective in that? I only saw it the one time. Yeah, he gets killed in it. Bit of a spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like the detective. I mean, it is a shot-for-shot remake of a movie that is, what, about 40 years old at this point? Mm. Maybe older? Maybe just a little bit older than that, I think, possibly. Maybe 60 years, almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it came out. But I seem to remember, like, say, William H. Macy. 1960. Yeah, Yeah, 1960, yeah. Yeah, I seem to remember Macy getting killed in that movie. (laughs) There you go. uh, No, it's good stuff, man. Is that, um, did you say you've you've recorded that, so that's your next episode coming out? That will be my, my next episode coming out. All right, buddy. Okay, yeah. man. Well, thanks, Darren. Like I say, thanks again for coming on to the show today, mate. It's um, yeah, it's been a blast, man. It's just been really good to talk to you. And um, like I say, we'll no doubt get you back onto the show again in the future. Thank you. Yeah, it's a wonderful way to start the day. Yeah, all right, man. Okay, guys, well, there you go. That's uh, In the Mouth of Madness. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. If you dare, if you have seen it, post some comics on my page. Let us know if you like it. And uh, for a little bit of admin for the show, I am a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network, so please go and check out all the other shows, including Darren's show, The Psychosomatic Podcast. And you can listen to Bite Size Cinema on... Um, there's, a, there's a Legion feed, there's iTunes, there's Spotify, I'm on YouTube, and there's several other players on the internet if you type in Bite Size Cinema Podcast Legion. And I have a Facebook page where I'm most active, so yeah, put anything on there, post any films that you might like me to have a look at, or any other comments, you have a ton of fun on there. And uh, there you go, guys. So as always, keep it bite-sized, keep it safe, and I'll see you soon.
If you enjoyed this show, then make sure you check out the other great shows on the Legion Podcast Network, like Cinema PsyOps, Cinema Beef, Devour the Podcast, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, Friday the 13th, Get Slayed, The Hell Ming Power Hour, Hello, This is the Doom Show, Hero Hero Ghost Show, Kill the Cast, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, Jerry Hates Action, Legion After Dark, Metal Health, Obsessive Cinema, Discourse, Pick 6 Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho-Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Which Versus the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found.